Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, wherever you are. I'm so excited about the show today. And Father Nathan is with us, and I'm going to be reading his bio here, and we're going to jump in. So Father Nathan is originally from Groves, Texas, graduated from Trinity University in San Antonio, and entered the Dominican Order in 1979. He received an MA and a Master's in Divinity from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, and served in-campus ministries in California and Arizona for 27 years. He was pastor, director of the Catholic community at Stanford University of the Catholic Stanford University and also at the All Saints Catholic Newman Center at Arizona State University. He's chaired the executive board of the Catholic Campus Ministry Association, and he is the author of Toto II, The Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure, and his new book, Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. In his spare time, he enjoys golf, spending time with friends, and cheering on his favorite sports team, especially Stanford football. And the Houston Astros, love it, Father Nathan, and I'm so glad that you're here. Every time that you come on, we know that, you know, you have new experiences with people visiting you and you helping them cross over. And if people listen to our show uh, last time Father Nathan was on, we got into detail about how he does this. And today we're going to be introducing two people that he helped cross over and I want to just welcome him to the show. Hello, Father Nathan. I'm excited to be with you, my friend. Oh, cool. It's great. So we, you know, before we start today, you and I talked a little bit about um, time. So when we talk about Wilhelmina today, and we talk about our other guest, Daniel, I want to kind of put out there to our listeners the difference in time. Wilhelmina, who we're going to be talking about her story is about from the 50s, Father Nathan, is that correct? Yes, I, she, uh, she passed. Well, this, the event that she was talking about was the death of her husband in front of her. And that happened, right. in, I think, in the earlier to mid-50s. And then she lived maybe another 15 years or so. But uh, So, yeah, it's fairly back there. Okay. And, and so the interesting thing about Wilhelmina, and I'm going to have you uh, tell her story, how the dream came to you, and then we'll get in and talk about it was the fact that she did not have a violent death like many of your visitors do, which I thought was really interesting. So how did that dream come in with Wilhelmina at first? Well, just to catch your listeners up to speed on, uh, we went into this last month when I was on your show. Mm -hmm. Uh, People come to me in the night. I, I pray before I go to sleep every night to hand my consciousness to God and uh, invite God to use it any way that God wants to. And once, about once a week, I'll receive a dream that someone else is material in my uh, stream of consciousness. Okay. So you know how it is. Your own dreams are, are not that different from one night to the next, but then sometimes these received dreams, the stories are very uh, out there. They're, they're not my experience at all. So, um, with regard to to time, you want to want to go into that first? Yes, definitely. Let's go into time. Okay, it's I've been having these experiences for about twenty two years, at helping people cross over after deaths that got them stuck somehow. Most of the time, those were people who died sudden, violent deaths, and who went from alive to dead almost immediately, and and we're just not ready for for one reason or another. They mm-hmm. If for your listeners who are familiar with the near-death experience and the the commonalities in that genre of people going through a tunnel or toward mm-hmm. an attractive light or something, mm-hmm. well, my people do, they leave the body uh, and maybe they do a little bit of that, but often they do little more than leaving the body and saying, 
everybody out of here. I don't, I don't want any of this. Right. And, and then they usually uh, slide to the side and they're taken care of. They're not allowed to be utterly alone, even if they want that. Right. If they say, everybody leave me alone, everybody except their guardian angel uh-huh. will do that. But their guardian will, will stay close enough to stay on guard, but, uh, but far enough away to respect the one that they care for, their desire for space. Many uh, times when I read your stories, that, that guardian is very, very quiet. They don't say a word, and you just imagine them to be almost like a, like a guard or a guardian, just as you say. And okay. when, when they do speak, it's only to do what I call a mic test because it involves um, them being willing to borrow my voice long enough to talk to my prayer partner. Okay. We, do all, we do all this in protected prayer. We mm-hmm. call on St. Michael and Holy mm-hmm. Mary and a cast of thousands of the angels and saints to be protected. And then I'll uh, allow my voice to be borrowed long enough for them to say what they need to say. So is the guardian the one that brings the voice through or is it the, the person themselves? Sometimes the guardian will, um, will speak only for a moment, not to deliver a message, but just to model how easy it is for the one that they guard. Okay. Right. The way that a parent might for a child, you know, okay. here, it's not very hard. Okay. Just do it like this. Uh, and then once in a while, we're not quite clear of who we're helping. Uh, sometimes we help people pass in a group uh, and other times individually. So sometimes we need a little clarity about what the task is. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's the case, I'll, when we're praying, I'll say, and guardian, if you would, please, we, it would help us to know the answer to this question. And then oh, they'll, they'll, they'll come through and, and give a little guidance. You know, Father Nathan, it just sound, it always sounds to me like when I read your work or we talk about it, that it's very matter of fact. It is. It's, uh, it's commonsensical. It's, um, it's, uh, it's just people helping other people. Uh, yeah, very much like something we would do on Earth. And mm-hmm. with Wilhelmina, what was interesting to me, it was almost like, it was almost like flipped because so her husband dies very quickly, had a, I believe it was an aneurysm or mm-hmm. something like that. He died very, very quickly. And even though she died 15 years or so later, it wasn't the husband that died. It was almost like, well, she, she, how can I put this? Last week, we were talking a lot about the level of acceptance. I don't want to get into a new subject, but it, what I felt about her is she didn't accept life as well as death. She didn't accept either the wife, you know, Wilhelmina, when her husband died. She stopped living because he died. And that was her in-between place, which I thought was so interesting because it wasn't violent. It was just she kind of gave up. Yeah, just yeah. to just to t- tell your listeners about what happened to her, she was uh, in a, the, a kind of season of her marriage where there, she and her husband had married young, had children quickly, right? Had, had raised them. Um, they were in retirement, mm-hmm. and they they were surprised at how much they were enjoying each other's company because they hadn't had very much private time in the whole of their marriage. Yeah, and, that was neat. Mm-hmm. And. Um, she uh, she told me that one of the things that was her task to do was the mending, buttons on shirts and mm-hmm. repairing little tears in clothing and stuff, and that she really disliked doing it. But so she she had a basket that she saved it up in, and then she just pick a day and decide, okay, today is mending day, and she tried to make a game out of it because she didn't like doing it. So she was in what she called her front room listening to the radio. Uh, with her mending basket, and she said nobody had to know it because it was, you know, it was private, but she used to talk to the mending in order to make a game of it. So she'd yes. say, say something like, and you, Mr. Torn Shirt, any minute now, you're going to be good as new. You just wait and see. So mm-hmm. she, she had this little game of talking to the clothing that she was repairing. She was just doing that on a pleasant day in her living room. And her husband walked into the room. I think his name is Eric. 
Um, yes, she, uh, he walked into the room and he looked bad. He looked odd. And she, she shouted his name and he hit the floor. Yes. Um, and she went next door to the neighbors uh, and said, there was just nothing to be done. He was that phrase, you know, he was dead before he hit the floor. Well, that was what happened. Yeah. And, and basically, she just didn't want, she just wanted the, the day to start over and for this never to have happened. Yes. And she said the house filled up quickly, not only with neighbors, but yes. with uh, emergency responders, police, mm-hmm. uh, and then a little bit later, um, mortuary personnel, uh, neighbors that she didn't know very well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, her kids. Mm-hmm. And she was just overwhelmed with all of it. And uh, she, she did this thing. She said, she, she said, I need to think about what a woman ought to do when her husband drops dead in the living room. I, yeah. think, I think she ought to go to his closet. And she ought to pick out the clothes he's going to be laid out in. So <laughs> she did this dissociation. She didn't live in the, in the, the embodied, real, sensate person anymore. She distanced herself like one level. And yes. she was sort of an observer of her own behavior. And she grooved that pattern and never really left it for the rest of her life. Yeah. Even, you know, when she talked about how her grandkid, her grandkids missed out on her. I yes. They, I, she said something like they never really got to know the yep. real whole her. They got to know this weird shell of, a, of an odd old woman that she felt like she became. Yep. And she just, she just didn't care. Well, she, she mentioned that she was Catholic and that she, <laughs> she do you remember the Sears and JCPenney catalogs? Yes. Uh, those big, thick catalogs I can yes. remember from, from my childhood. She I said she used to, to like to browse through those and, and, and look and choose from possibilities. And that when it came time for her to consider crossing over, they gave her something that reminded her of that, that there were a lot of ways that could be done. And was she she said she found me like browsing through a catalog. Oh, look, here's a Catholic priest that could help. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was comfortable around Catholic priests, so she chose me. So interesting. Isn't yeah, it? it is. You know, and I, when I was reading her story, I have to look at the story of widows, you know, what a widow goes through. Uh-huh. And getting back into life when you've been with someone for a very long time. I just spoke to a lady the other day that um, she was at a birthday party we were at. She'd been married to her husband 64 years. And it reminded me of Wilhelmina. And she, he was, they, had, they were a close couple and she was really having a hard time. I think when you've been with somebody for a really long time, and this is the message that Wilhelmina gives us because she, she gave you permission to share her story because she wanted other widows to really understand what she went through. And she wanted to be of help, you know. And uh, I thought that was really beautiful. And when I was talking to this lady uh, over the weekend, um, she just sounded so, she misses him and she's sad. But here were all these great-grandchildren that were around her and she was dressed nice and she was doing her best. But I imagine it's really hard. You know, my own sister who lost her husband after 30 years of marriage, it was still, you know, that, that grief is really difficult. And, and what happened to Wilhelmina, would you say father Nathan, is she, her grief was complicated and she just gave up. She, she never really entered into it, but she, she stayed a safe distance from her own grief, if you can imagine that. Okay, that really makes sense. Yes. So it was almost like she just pushed it away, but she went into a very dark valley and just decided to live there for a while by herself. I don't even know if I would call it a dark valley. It was just um, a bland. Um, she, bland. Couldn't, she couldn't afford to feel her own emotions. Bland. And sh- so she chose the mm-hmm. most... Um, emotionless way of getting through the rest of her life that she could. She gave an example for, uh, uh, they, she and her husband used to stay after mass for the coffee and donuts, the little social time after church. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And she found that it was so laborious because she wasn't really the person that people thought she was. Yeah. They were talking to a version of her that was like inside, but she was beside herself. Uh, and she just found it so laborious that eventually she quit doing that. And then she, then she quit interacting with the neighbors and then she quit baking. She, uh, gradually, she just turned loose of so many things in her life uh, and ended up really sad and alone. Yeah, she did. She did. And then her family didn't know what to do. So they ended up putting her in a nursing home and that's where she eventually passed on. Yeah. And she said she had a son and a daughter that had, had lived in the same town and then moved a few towns over so she could see them frequently. And she said they did fine job of taking care of the house and mm -hmm. of my financial affairs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I didn't want to live with them and they didn't give me that opportunity. And I was just as happy but when she did require the kind of care that is appropriate in a nursing home, she made it clear to the people at the nursing home that she wanted uh, the least amount of interaction, human interaction as possible. So those are the kind of people that they put in a room. Yeah, Maybe. they gave her they gave her really sick roommates that were asleep most of the time. And yeah, they didn't want to talk. And so yeah. this is what she created in her whole existence. So right. fascinating. We still have, we have another really great story we're going to share plus some other little tidbits and i know we got to go to break father nathan so we'll be right back become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling sessions are not just 50 minutes but a full hour when you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations if you have a question for nina impala or her guest today call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to tutoring for the spirit at gmail.com now back to this week's program Okay, we're back with Father Nathan and Afterlife Interrupted. And I would like to ask Father Nathan this question that I've been thinking about so much. So many of the people that you bring and that are in your book, Father Nathan, and that you brought to me, they've, they've died more violently than Wilhelmina. And the one question that comes to me with her, it's, you know, like my own mom, when she died, I know she didn't want to leave all of us, but was it because you know, she just went and I know that she went to heaven because she was happy about being there and Wilhelmia was just not happy about dying. I mean, why didn't the angels just come and take her and boom, she went through the tunnel and the light like everybody else? Because she didn't die violently. And it was just like this, she got a little lost. 
Well, she explained to me that she had sort of magical thinking about what might happen when you die, mm. that, that you would leave all your troubles behind. Oh. And that all she really needed to do was, was die, and then all would be well. Oh. So would that have been like a lesson for her, Father Nathan, that she had to understand before she could go into the light? I think it's a lesson for all of us that all of us have a life to lead and opting not to lead it is, is not a good choice. Okay. Uh, we all have our stuff to work through. and Physically or um, spirit, in, in emotionally, spiritually. Um, uh, she was. She tried to be inert. She tried to be uh, outside of her own life. There's lots of ways to do that. I mean, yeah, it's almost like committing a living suicide without killing the physical. Well, or you know, uh, any kind of addiction has uh, oh, right. a, a addiction. component. Uh, it, any, anything that takes us out of uh, our truth and brings us into some, I don't know, some falsehood, some, <laughs> some something that's inauthentic. She, yeah. she knew that she was being inauthentic, but she just didn't dare go into the grief material that she would have had to go into. And she did that in the afterlife. Okay. She, she began to realize, oh, I get it. And she, she moved at a very slow pace. She mm -hmm. wasn't held back mm -hmm. by any, anybody but herself. And they kept encouraging her and saying, don't feel bad about yourself. You're, you'll, you're moving at the pace that you choose. And and that's, we're accompanying you at the pace that you choose. Okay. So you and I talked about the one size fits all. You know, it's not like that. When people die, when they go to heaven, it, it seems to me from your work and just reading about different people, other NDEs too, that this is all we're individuals kind of like we are on earth. And if a person is slow moving, then they can be slow moving. It's okay. There's no judgment in any of that. Would that Correct. be true? Correct. I, I, I think I entitled her story, Wilhelmina Mending Her Heart. Her heart broke. Well, her heart broke. And, she, you know, I mentioned in the earlier segment that she, she, her husband died while she was doing the mending. Exactly. And in her, in her mending basket, she had a pin cushion mm -hmm. that was shaped like a heart. Oh, yeah. Except it was torn. Mm -hmm. But who bothers to mend their pin cushion? <laughs> she, just, she just threw it back in the, the basket and didn't give it any thought. But that became... That became a thing. She, she was told, here, of course your heart uh, broke. Your husband died suddenly right mm -hmm. in front of you. That would be mm -hmm. heartbreaking for anyone. It's just that you haven't yet done the work of mending it. Okay. Yep. It's beautiful. And it's perfect. And I want to have, have time to talk about uh, Daniel, too, and okay. some other things. So let's, um, we will say that... Wilhelmina's beautiful husband was the one that picked her up and brought her into the light as if he was, they had just started dating, right? When she was ready, yes. um, she, she was reminded that, uh, you know, the pace that you've chosen is your, your business, but mm -hmm. it does have consequences. And it has meant that, that uh, Eric has had to wait longer for you to be ready to be greeted by him. But he's, he knows that you're almost ready and he's ready too. And so, when it came time, he presented himself as his 16-year-old self on their first date. So beautiful. And he was holding a bouquet of flowers that didn't match because they weren't store-bought. They were roses out of his mother's garden. Oh, that's so gorgeous. I yeah. just love all, all the little tidbits of these stories, you know, and how original they are and how unique they are. Daniel was another um, dream that came to you. And yes. Daniel, he is a completely different story than what we're talking about because he was much younger and he did have a violent death and I'm going to let you describe that how what happened yes in the dream um, I was a young man uh, in what felt like some sort of athletic competition or field day or something and I fell out of a tree and couldn't catch my breath and he explained that he was in a fraternity uh, in a small liberal arts college and he, I think, was in charge of pledging. Yeah. And it was one of his duties was to set up this field day um, 
I, I used to be associated with the Greek system as, uh, 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 when I was in college. And the, uh, after the pledges are selected and the, bid, the bids are given, they do one fun thing before they get down to the work of what's often hazing you know, in, in groups that allow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were just having this all fun field day thing that was like an all day picnic with athletic contests thrown in. And one of the things involved uh, some sort of race where one of the things teams had to do was run to this tree, climb it, and grab something that was up in the tree as a, like a flag. Okay. And he was do, just doing that, and the limb that he was on broke. Mm-hmm. He fell, fell to the ground on his chest mm-hmm. and had the wind knocked out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was far, far worse than that. You know, it's scary enough to have the wind knocked out of you, but it just wouldn't come back in. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it went from a fun day to um, a sudden death. And this wasn't like there was no drinking involved. They were no, just- no, it wasn't even, it wasn't at night. I think it was like midday. Yeah, and no, it, was, it didn't involve drunkenness. He just fell, hit hard on his chest and uh, something happened that was the end of his life. Now, going deeper into the story, one of the interesting things was what it sounded like, but you might be able to explain this better. He didn't really move from the place he was in spiritually. It felt like that energy was still there or something because he didn't want to be a part of the chaos that was going on, although he could see his body on the ground and he was above it. But what it sounded to me like, he just didn't want to be any part of anything that was going on. So, he just kind of stayed put. As I remember it, he described, uh, it, you know, on the one hand, he went through the experience itself of okay. falling, hitting the ground, not being able to catch his breath. Right. And, then, and then soon after that, he was out of body. But when he was out of body, he didn't want to be next to his body because it was now the center of all this commotion. Yes. That's a that says it a lot better because he didn't want to feel all that. A, a second, yeah, there was all this anxiety and crying and screaming and the people shouting commands and things like that. He didn't want to be in the middle of that, so he he moved off to one side where he could sort of observe it, but not have to be in the middle of it. And digressing just a little bit, the title of the story was Daniel Ready Enough, and we're going to get into that too. But I just want to put that out there as we're talking about him being ready enough. Because the one thing I felt about Daniel is that he, even with all of the talking and the counseling between you and the guides on the other side, he, he, he still felt like, you know, he, he would, he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to die. There was so much ahead of him because he was in, and I loved about it. Your prayer partner used the word that he was in school in learning mode. Yes. And so when he died, that was a part of what was next, his learning. Yes, and he he was in college and he was learning, but he wasn't um, a person who knew he was going to go to medical school or something like that. Right. Uh, he was he was still choosing what his life course might be at the time of his death. Right, and, and as Laura, I'll just quote her in here. You put um, you were in learning mode when you died. You were a student and eager for all those experiences as an undergraduate. So that's unfolding for you now in another way. I love the way she said that. Yeah, and Laura has since passed, uh, but she was also a PhD and a university professor and a university administrator at one point in her career. Right. So you you both were very you know both had master's degrees and stuff, so you could really understand where this young man was coming from. Yeah, and had worked with people his age for much of our careers. You know, and the other thing that I thought about with this young man was, you know, when he was, his close people were his fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. He really didn't have close people when you guys were working with him. I'm sure he's got a mom and a dad and stuff, but that was not coming forward, which I also thought was a very interesting part of this This. um this death was usually there's a mom or a dad or something like that. You know, when you start to get into the conversation for him, that just wasn't it. He was such an interesting young man because it really, when you look at the difference between Wilhelmina, who was some t- a time in the 50s, she was a much older woman, but with a young man 
that had his whole life going for him, there there was a lot more, I felt like a lot more question and feeling involved when you were doing the work with him for whatever reason. Yeah, I've found that sometimes when young people die, um, when they were still in a kind of a mode of setting out for the adventure of their life and and stepping into it, and mm-hmm. then it all blows up, mm-hmm. that sometimes it's hard for them to find that similar energy to take on what their afterlife might be? Yes. Yes. It, yeah. Almost like going to a function and being the youngest one there. Yeah. That I did this before and look what happened. Right. And now, now you want me to kind of do it again. You want me to get all excited about a future and start making all kind of plans and stuff. And they just have to kind of calm down and get over themselves and realize that death comes only once. And yes. uh, you're not going to go through anything like that again. And, and, uh, it's kind of thwarting yourself before you even get started. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a behavior that any of us can do here. Yes. You know, and he, he wanted to be one of the learning things that he did. Okay. So going back to the, the moment of his death, right. And the way that looked and he didn't really, you know, you want to be a part of all the screaming and crying and yelling and everything. And even when he was in heaven, he seemed like, well, actually, maybe even in the in-between place, finding himself and giving himself some kind of, I don't want to say status, but he he said at one point in the story that you gave me that he didn't want to be remembered. If I say Marilyn Monroe, what do you think? Suicide. If I say John F. Kennedy, what do you think? Assassination. So he he was trying to kind of redeem himself or be able to present himself in heaven in a different way and not with that stigma of the way he died. Yeah, he wanted to reclaim his own story. Now, just so you know, you use the word heaven in a way that I don't in the book. Okay. I used, I put afterlife in the title on purpose. Okay. Uh, because heaven has a kind of spatial connotation to it and has a lot of other uh, uh, I- ideas associated with it. That makes so sense. I wanted something a little more generic. Okay. I'd, I'm not saying that he's in heaven or purgatory. I'm just saying he's in the afterlife. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying that. That's sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No and, and, the, and you know how with many things, like you, you recently started this radio show, didn't you? Yes. Well, how, what in the world possessed you to do that? <laughs> what, made you think, to- <laughs> what made you think you could do that? Have I, your own radio? I know. I wanted to be heard and I had a message to get out. And you figured it out. You yes. studied it and you figured it out. And there was a point at which you could have said, I'm not sure if I'm ready completely, but I'm ready enough. Right. Okay. That's, yes. all, he, that's all Eric's, I mean, uh, all uh, uh, Daniel said was that I don't know if I'm completely ready to do, do this thing, whatever it is, but I'm ready enough. Okay. There well, must be a lot of your listeners who can appreciate that. There's, there just comes a moment when you say, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Whether whether you're ready for a thing or not. I'm going to call it a leap of faith. That's what I always call it. I always say, okay, I'm taking the leap of faith here. Okay. Or at least least a a step of faith, if not a leap. Okay. You take the next step. (laughs) All right. I'll take a step, not a leap. Um, The the other thing that was really, really beautiful that I really want to touch on, and I never thought of this ever until I read your story, which happens with a lot of the things that you send me is that Daniel said, every time you make a decision on earth, you eliminate other possibilities. And it took me a minute. I sat with that and thought, you know what? That's a true statement. But in the afterlife, it's not true. So like if you chose to go to college and get your master's in divinity, that's that's a big deal. Uh And perhaps you eliminate something else you wanted to take in college or get a master's degree. And so a lot of people have a couple of master's degrees, but do you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, yeah, there's, I'm not, I'm not an architect, but I, I thought that would have been cool. Right. It, but you became a priest. I did. And, and so what, what Daniel's telling us is in the afterlife, you really can just, there's so many possibilities for us. And that's yeah. another beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message to be able to put out there to people because I know for myself, I've always wanted to be a physician. I didn't get to do it. And I believe that if you carry that with you into your afterlife and if that stays a perduring part of your imagination, 
Mm-hmm. Well, then you're either going to ask it yourself or somebody's going to suggest it. Okay. So let's go back to what you just said, part of your imagination. Mm-hmm. Because when you think of something that you imagine and you create it in your mind, so what you're, you're saying is in the afterlife, what you imagine or something maybe that you really felt strongly about, because I have, I've always felt very strongly about either being a physician or a surgeon or something like that. It's inside of me and it's always been there. So is it something that I imagine in the afterlife that might be something that would just automatically come up? Well, I'm trained in, uh, in Thomistic philosophy and theology that comes from Aristotle and then through St. Thomas Aquinas. And both of them, Aristotle said, nothing comes to be unless it first exists in imagination. Okay. For example, you, you might imagine that when the show is over, there's a piece of cake in the refrigerator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, not in, you're not in the kitchen, you're not near the refrigerator, but you can imagine the cake that's in the refrigerator, and that might be all you need to get up out of your chair and be on the way to the refrigerator. And go get that cake. Because I could imagine that piece of cake, and I want that. Okay. And you, you move in the direction of an imagined thing. Okay. That makes sense. It really yeah. does. Oh, good. Well, I like that thought. You know, and whenever we talk about some of these people, whether it's Wilhelmina or whether it's Daniel or some of the other people we've talked about, it really lets all of us know, the audience know, you know, with all these different stories, it gives us a real picture and maybe even a little bit comforting about what the afterlife is. Particularly when you, you read the stories and realize that almost all the people died sudden, violent deaths. Yeah. And, and, and they got over it. Yes. If, um, you know, my audience out there, you know, reading Afterlife Interrupted opens up your mind and your heart into things that you've never thought of before. And I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed every time I read the story and the different realities that come through. You know, this one, Wilhelmina was actually a little bit longer than most of the ones. She had a lot to say. She was very chatty, I think in part because she had been so locked up inside herself for so long. That when she finally did start to talk, she had a lot to say. Maybe just grieving. Gosh, we have to go to another break already. And I want to talk about uh, everything else that you're doing and touch a little bit more on these two beautiful people. So we'll be right back. Sure. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thanks for staying tuned, guys. We're here with uh, Father Nathan and Afterlife Interrupted. So just before we went to break, um, we were talking about Daniel. And one of the interesting things that you do, Father Nathan, is you get permission from all of these beautiful people to be able to talk about them. And I understand that Daniel is very excited with helping you with your next book. He is. Um, When I wrote Afterlife Interrupted, it came out in uh, November of 2018. The process leading up to it, I had never thought that I would be back in touch with any of these people again after helping them cross over. And then when the idea of actually putting some of the stories in a book came across, it felt like it might be intrusive. The conversations were were, um, highly personal, if not private. Yes. And and so my my prayer partner at the time, Laura, said, well, you keep saying that. Why don't we just ask them? You know, you're not chatting up the dead just for your own amusement. You have a holy reason for asking a question. Mm-hmm. So we made a list of the people we wanted to talk to, and we called a meeting. <laughs> we just, like, sent out an invitation. Okay. So, and yeah, tell me about so, that. Well, it ended up being a little bit like a waiting room. One, We just had a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe we use your story. And so we thought that we could probably do a lot of that in a hurry. Uh, and some of them wanted to stay on and give us little updates about what they were doing. That's so cool. And uh, when I asked... Uh, the, the, the first book had already been written when I met Daniel, but mm-hmm. um, he said, you know, I know that you, when you wrote your book, uh, one of the people in it uh, helped you uh, write it from the afterlife. And he said, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. He was still kind of in a school mode. Yes. He said, he said I'm going to go back to school somehow, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'd like to sort of be an intern. Yeah. Because he talked about taking courses. Um, I thought that was so, so interesting because when he, he, he talks about taking courses and he said, I want to learn that course to talk with people on the yes. other side, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yes. And it, it's like, I've never heard that before in the afterlife. Well, I know that there's some things you can do, but for him to actually say they've been giving me courses. So, yeah, I thought that was really neat that he wanted to do that and that he's learning how to communicate with people that are in this dimension and not in the afterlife. Wow. Yes. I remember being taught in first grade that heaven would have everything you need to be completely happy. And that stayed with me from six to 64 now. Uh, And, and I always loved school. I was one of those kids that was always eager at the end of the summer for school to start. Because I had so many school friends that I didn't see in the summertime. Oh, it's so neat. Well, it's really beautiful that he wants to help you. And the fact that, you know, you just call them all in and you have like this waiting room. It's done obviously in a meditation the way you, in all of the um, protective prayer that you bring in. And you do it that way. As, as if like, you know, when you're starting a session with one person, you and uh, your prayer partner gets together and does all the protective prayer and then just ask everybody to come in and have a meeting. Yes. And it's not summoning, you know, uh, like you're ordered by a court, you know, you're given a summons to Mm -hmm. show up on for jury duty. No, Mm -hmm. I I can't, I have no right to summon these people. I just invite and say, if you wouldn't mind, we're going to be, I usually pray the day before or the night before Mm -hmm. and say, uh, we're going to be calling on you tomorrow. And if you, are available and would like to be present to us. Just uh, we wanted to give you a little heads up, like a save the date. Now, do you feel them talking to you when you do those prayers? Do you feel the answers coming in? Because I know you feel them a lot. Uh, not really, not very often. Mostly I just trust that they can hear me because I, I know that it's true. Okay. Yep. Um, totally get that. Totally believe that. It, it works. It really mm-hmm. does. Yeah. So moving forward, I want to know, I know you're working on a couple of things right now, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Thank um, you. The direction that you're headed. So go ahead and let us know. I know you're doing a couple of things. Well, I have a next book that will be a follow-up to Afterlife Interrupted. I don't know if it'll have that title or not, but it'll be more stories 
And the advice that I've been given is, okay, you've already written one book that has a lot of uh, anecdotal stories of indiv- individual person's experiences, but mm-hmm. the next one will have that, but it will also have more of a focus on what can these person's stories teach the reader? Yes. Uh, that's, that's already in Afterlife Interrupted, but we're going to make it more explicit the next mm-hmm. time. Uh, so that book is in the works, and we're hoping to have it out in the fall. Well, and then, know, Go ahead. Um, well, one, one more thing. Uh, the other project has been something I've been working on for about two years. It's, it's my first video series, oh, and it's a companion video series. What I did is I, I got 75 people who read Afterlife Interrupted, got them in the same room, and for three hours, I asked them to tell me what questions reading Afterlife Interrupted provoked in them. What did it make them think about? What did they want to know more about? What, what did, where did they want clarification? So I got about 40 questions. I, I reduced them to about six categories. Mm-hmm. And then I made a video on each one. One of them, for example, is Afterlife Geography. If, oh. if you're, you're going to talk about people crossing over, as I do in the subtitle, that presumes spatial movement, crossing over from one room to the next or from one county to the next or something. So mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the geography of it? So I have a video about that. And then I, I did a bunch of videos trying to d- explain to the reader who I am and how I operate in the world, what, I, what my cosmology is, what my understanding of the whole universe is, and how I am a person within it. That would be a good show, Father Nathan. <laughs> well, we're, you're, I'll be on again next month. If that's what you want to do next time, we could do that. It's just yeah. that I ha- I've had the benefit of being a lifelong Catholic. And, of course, you still have to choose it. There's nothing yeah. automatic about being born into a religion and deciding that you're no. going to stay with it. Mm-hmm. But, but I was given a consistent worldview as a, as a first grader. Uh, and I, I really – there are many things that I've pushed back against and have uh, kind of outgrown or whatever. But uh, but I believe basics of the how, how I got here, why I'm here, where I'm destined, a lot of the bigger questions uh, were supplied. I was given appropriate answers early and built upon them. And so I have a, a video series that kind of explains, if you didn't get that and you'd like to know what mine is, you might want to borrow aspects of mine. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I think that for Anybody, you know, even people, you know, when they interview people that do near-death experiences and stuff, the most and what you're doing, which is so unique, it's so much about bringing to people a sense of peace. I want to say peace that we learn from these people. And I also believe that these people that are in the afterlife that you have worked with want to help. They do. They because it, it helps them heal. That's just my thought. It helps them heal. Or, you know, it's kind of like, let me put it this way, kind of like when I tell people that are grieving and they can't step out of that box and they're just really, really sad. And it's when I tell them, you know what, if you help somebody else, you're going to feel better. It's going to lift you a little bit. And I kind of feel that way sometimes with a lot of the people that you work with in the afterlife. It's like they're so amazed, you know, when you read the stories and when you're reading the book, almost like the cadence of it. And 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 when you get to the end of each story, there's this beautiful kind of ending that really makes you thinking that everything's going to be okay. And that's for everybody to hear. Everything's going to be okay. It is. And, and right now with, you know, the global pandemic and all kind of unrest around racial issues and whatever's going on in your own life, your health or people you love, uh, I think it's all the more important to know that all will be well. All yeah. will be well. And if we can wrap our brains around that, and I, and I really believe that, you know, a lot of this, the work that you do and that other near-death experiencers do and other people that have died and talked about their grief process, all aspects of death. It just brings in a sense of, uh, like with Dr. Graham, when I was interviewing him last week and we were talking about the levels of acceptance that this is going to happen. And so it's just through your stories and, and what you bring to us, 
it starts to take that in and and just let it settle. Just let it settle. Just think about it. And what will I know? We're getting really close to closing here, but I want to say this with Wilhelmina, you know, what she taught us about really living life when somebody dies, just continue to move forward and do it what it is you need to do. Even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. Yes. And with Daniel, he had to wrap his brain around, yep, I'm dead. And I'm going to learn stuff here in the afterlife. That's the way it's going to go. And I'm ready enough. You know Mm -hmm. how he said it. So as for you, Father Nathan, um, let's give your website. Yeah, my website is my name, Nathan-Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E, Nathan-Castle.com. Okay. And And you can contact me through the, uh, the email that's embedded in the website. And then, you know, I'll be on the show a month from now. And so maybe people who listen today might have questions. Uh, They could make those known to you or to me that might help us, uh, you know, uh, form what we talk about next time. Okay. Well, I just thank you so much for being on today. This has gone so quick because it's just been so amazing. And I want to thank you. And we will be talking again. Father Nathan is on the third Wednesday of every month at 3 p.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. So thank you so much, Father Nathan. Okay, God bless you. God bless you too. So my friends, thank you for tuning in today. It has been a great show. Hey, and I want to put it out there. I know in the commercials, they've got me at 250. Because of COVID and everything that is going on, that I will be doing my sessions at 150 if you're interested. And if you can't afford that, send me an email at tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com because I'm here to help and I don't want anybody to suffer. So take care all. Have a great week to all you dads out there. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Be happy. Be peaceful. Take care. Bye-bye. hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.